Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Sajoni, and with me is... Brian, the angry man claiming it has been a while since uh, we last came to you, but we are now into episode 31. We're going to be talking about consultants and how to pick a good one. Uh, on let's get into episode. today's episode. I'm going to turn it over to my wingman, Brian, uh, for his customary rant about what's keeping him up at night. He's had a few weeks to uh, to uh, build up, I guess, some, yeah, some anger. And, well, uh, hello, everyone. First of all, I do want to apologize for my uh, friend Luciano, who again has misspoken. The reason we have not been on for several weeks now has been because we were sanctioned by the CRTC for Luciano's outlandish behavior a few episodes ago. So we've been suspended from the airwaves and we're back today. Actually, that's not true. Luciano's right. We've just been really busy and sort of refocusing uh, how we're going to deliver these podcasts. So we're back on a regular uh, routine. What keeps me up at night, it's not COVID. There's really oh two, things <laughs> two things I want to talk about today. Uh, political doublespeak and <laughs> virtual signaling. And, you, you know, uh, Wikipedia, which is my go-to source, says that doublespeak is language that deliberately obscures, disguises, distorts, or reverses the meaning of words. Doublespeak may take the form of euphemisms, downsizing for layoffs, servicing the target for a bombing, uh, neutralizing for an assassination, in which case it is uh, uh, primarily meant to make the truth sound more plausible. Is that something that as Canadians we've heard from our politicians recently? It's just amazing the amount of people speak that come out of these guys across all parties. And now the next part of the rant, and I'm going to get into some examples, is virtue signaling. And virtual signaling may be thought as a, a form of moral grandstanding in which a viewpoint or answer is calculated to look good, thereby making the object or speaker or prime minister, oops, did I say that, uh, appear virtuous to others rather than being chosen because of its strict honesty. So like some examples of both these things of virtual signaling and doublespeak. One is that comes to mind is the unmarked grave situation with the indigenous uh, uh, communities. Yeah. What have we done, okay? What have we done in the third mandate of this government? We've had the flags at half staff for the last five months, and now everything is fine. You know, we, don't have we still have unsafe drinking water at Aboriginal uh, in Aboriginal communities yep. in the north. Okay, I don't know when that's going to be fixed. Just like uh, uh, Donald Trump kept blaming Obama for all the ills of the U.S., this government seems to blame Stephen Harper for all the ills, even though they're on their th uh, third mandate. We had the residential schools. Uh, uh, the Canadian government under Mr. Trudeau 
is appealing the decision of the Canadian uh, federal court that upheld a landmark Canadian human rights tribunal ruling on Indigenous child welfare compensation. The court basically said to our leaders that are very happy to lower the flags and to virtue signaling, this is the compensation you have to give the victims and their their the survivors and their yeah. families for what you did. But it's really easy to lower a flag, but what does their government do? They appeal it. They're appealing it and they're entering into negotiations, okay, with the different communities to see if they can come up for some sort of a ruling. The human rights tribunal that these virtual signaling, politically double-speaking politicians believe is so core to what we do as Canadians, rules on against the government and all of a sudden they're no longer viable and they go to the federal court. And even the federal court saying, whoa, it was a valid ruling. Um, drinking water fiasco, as I said, and it's uh, we're just off uh, Remembrance Day, homelessness and underserved veterans. I cannot believe how we treat our veterans in this country. We the, the freedoms we enjoy, the life we live is because of them. And I had something else, but you know what? I'm not going to say it right now because I don't want to take too much time for a main topic. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me. Uh, I'm going to add one thing to your uh, Remembrance Day thing. I, I'll tell you, my my son works works in an office uh, where one of uh, the coworkers is one of these. Um, well, let's call him, you know, lefty tree hugging <laughs> persona, a woke, a woke person it's like who refuses who refused to stand up for for a minute of silence at the workplace when everyone else was doing it and, you know, trying to slough it off as, uh, as a principle of saying that, well, you know, don't agree with those men killing other men. And it sort of makes your head shake because those men are the reason why she can act the way she acts today. It's, it's ridiculous that we've lost the perspective on what they did, what, what you, they sacrificed. For. You know, I, I said that we're going to move on to the topic. You just now ignited a firestorm in me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, no, 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 but I just got to say this, okay? She doesn't agree with the killing. They were killing Taliban people that were raping and cutting the heads off of women. I know. They went, they served in World War II to liberate six million, or too yeah. late for six million Jews. What amazes me with some people, and maybe some younger people, they we don't learn history anymore. Yeah. They don't understand the freedom is free. What these men and women did, our veterans have done, whether they served overseas in the combat zone or just served in Canada, it's more a million times than what people like this have done. They've done nothing to contribute to the society yeah. other than to say, uh, uh, I'm not taking a vaccination because you're taking away my freedom. That is just disgusting. Yeah, it is disgusting. It's an indication of where 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 we've come. Entitlement, complacency, whatever you want to call it. These are people who had to go without food, without water, without power, without losing family, and they never complained, right? And if they complained, they shut their mouth, they put their head down, and they went to war. They went to do what had to be done. And I don't That's think right. that we're we're able to do that anymore. The other piece that I wanted to touch on quickly was uh, on my end, what I've seen really that's uh, just another indication of how, how messed up this world is getting. I don't know if you've been following that Rittenhouse uh, trial oh, yeah. in, in the U.S. Watching both sides, I mean, regardless of whether or not you think he's guilty, just the arguments that are being made seem so far out of touch with what's going on on the video. It's right there in front of you that these guys were all, I think, to a degree, complicit in creating the situation and went down there with that intention. I don't care if, you, like I said, Rittenhouse was down there for a reason. 
But to pretend that those other three guys were there to sing Kumbaya and hold hands is, is just absurd. Um, so that, to me, was disturbing. And, uh, and I'll tell you, you're going to find this probably funny because I don't usually talk about this type of stuff. But I was bored the other night. <laughs> so we watched the documentary on uh, um, Britney Spears. So, and, oh, my uh, God. Do you have a fever? Yeah, no kidding. And I thought the same thing, right? Like, I, I really could care less about uh, superstars and their issues. I think uh, a lot of times they just want to be heard. But I'll tell you, it was an eye-opener to understand what a conservatory really is. And the overpower, like the power that her father had over her. She, He could dictate the meds that she took. She didn't have a choice in that kind of stuff. And it was like scary to think that a judge allowed that crap, despite the fact that she allegedly had a lawyer appointed to protect her. But as you watch the documentary, you see that that lawyer was actually paid by the conservatory. So there's no interest there for him to defend her to look mm. out for her best interest. And so they're all just eating at the trough, right? It's disgusting. It really is. It, it is. It's very disappointing, especially the Britney Spears example, because I always, and and I realize this is the United States and perhaps in the whole Canada is different, but I always believe that the uh, your rights would be protected by the courts. Yeah. And I never really understood that conservatorship in that they didn't say, you know, like in Canada, as a policeman, if you attend a call where someone's emotionally disturbed and they're a threat to themselves or to others, you can apprehend them and compel them to go to a hospital for yeah. assessment. So I understand that because that's an urgent, imminent threat. Britney Spears was age majority. No one ever yeah. said she was mentally incompetent. I don't really understand what happened there. And I just want to say one more thing about Rittenhouse. You know, that's what happens when you go to a demonstration where there's a possibility of upheaval, uh, wearing a long gun that's high caliber. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, I'm just amazed some of the scenes out of the U.S. that you have these people open carrying uh, uh, small arms and weapons that are high capacity, you know, you know, weapons of war, you might say. Yeah. And, and then, then scratch their heads when things go wrong. How did this happen? Well, I know that if it was Canada... <laughs> and you were on the opposing side. I think the worst that could have happened was a black eye, not yeah. a bullet hole. And you'd probably be in cuffs 13 seconds later. It's yeah. hard for the police, I would think, in the States, when everyone's got a weapon and there's friendlies and not friendlies. It's like even the term friendlies and not friendlies. It's like you're in Afghanistan. You're in Vietnam. Yeah. You're in... Man, oh man, what a world. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, so we got that out of our system. Let's move on to the topic of the day. Uh, because we do want to keep these uh, a little shorter than than the hour that uh, we've done in the past. Um, and today we're going to talk about consulting. It's something that obviously we've done um, and we continue to do. Um, and something that I think uh, is needed in, in our society. And we're, we'll talk about that certainly with uh, when you when you think about some of the clients that we've dealt with and, uh, and uh, some of the things they've put forward or tried to do um, with their own in-house residents, so-called experts in security. Um, it is eye-opening to, to see and hear some of the things that go on um, in the space. So with that, we thought it was going to be, it would be important to talk about what a good consultant should do or, or what you should look for in a good consultant. Um, and with that, I'm going to let's start it off with, uh, you know, what do you think is a key attribute, uh, Brian, that uh, people should consider when they're shopping around? Well, you know, I think uh, you and I work for large companies when we're in the real estate world. And 
I, I suspect or I would like in our position was sort of like the in-house consultant. The reality is most companies don't have anyone with the expertise that, that they need to help them navigate uh, uh, the waters as it relates to security, protection of asset and the people. And that's really what I do. That's what you do. You know, we're sort of a gun for hire, if you will. Yep. But there's a lot of guns for hire out there. And how do you know you're getting the right guy? What are the things that you should be looking for? Uh, my experience has been uh, that people just contact you, uh, hit or miss, either through yep. a referral or they saw your website, and then they'll sign a contract in many cases. And God bless them for doing that. But I will tell you that most of the engagements we've done over the last three years, no one has really checked us out. No one has really asked us about our experience or our certifications or competencies. No one has even asked, do you have insurance? Think about that for a second. You know, when we do a public tender, they're really good at asking for your insurance and you have WSIV. But think about it. You're retained as a consultant because someone has a security issue they're concerned about and they want to make sure that they're doing their uh, duty of care by keeping people and assets safe, okay? And they're going to rely on you and based on what the consultant tells them, they're going to make some business decisions and then call it a day. And let's say the consultant is uh, gave you the wrong information. It was obvious that the consultant was the wrong person for the job, but you didn't do any due diligence. And then you get sued because someone gets uh, beaten up in a parking lot or property gets stolen that shouldn't have been stolen. And you get sued for gross negligence because it should never have come to uh, the situation it came to, okay? And you say, no worries. I'm going to get sued and I'm going to sue the consultant in warranty, which is the way things get done. But then you find out the consultant has no insurance because you never check to see if yeah. he has insurance or he's underinsured. And then you say, okay, I'm going to sue the guy personally, okay? But then you find out he lives in his mother's basement yep. and he has no assets. I mean, these are the things you need to do. Before you engage a consultant, you have to fit, you have to clearly define what it is you want the consultant to do. And then you have to take the time, almost RFI it, to do your due diligence to make sure the consultant has the skill expertise and the infrastructure with insurance back office to do it and then you engage them yeah i, I think all of that to encapsulate it would be uh, i think knowledgeable right uh, on two levels you the 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 person looking for the consultant needs to figure out they have to have the knowledge uh, that they're picking the right consultant, but that consultant has to have the credentials to be able to speak to whatever issue is that that you're being hired for. Hired for, and a good example I have that illustrates that. Um, I would say, you know, years ago we had uh, we had a guy who was on TV freaking almost every day. Every time there was an issue, you'd see this person pop up on TV, and and right underneath it, right, expert, security expert, in big big bold letters. And I had the the privilege of taking a course once. Uh, with with uh, one of the editors for uh, for Global News, and uh, at the coffee break, I asked her. I said, you know, you got these people on your TV program, and you say that they're experts, but I can tell you that that specific person, he may call himself an expert, but if you look at the credentials, they don't have it. They don't have the credentials. They don't have the experience, and yet you're telling people that they're a security expert on national TV. Don't you have a problem with that? And her response was basically. We put it up there as long as they don't agree, as long as they don't have issues with yeah. it, it goes up there. And that to me is sort of a fundamental example of what's wrong with, with most businesses, not just ours as security and consulting, but 
in general, people just read it or tweet it, and that's it. It's gospel. They don't do that extra effort to figure out, is it real? Are they are they who they say they are? And do they have what, what I need out of them, um, you know, in, in, a, in a credible fashion? Well, it's interesting you talked, uh, use the term experts, because I agree with you. There's very few experts. In fact, if you recall, we did a uh, podcast, uh, several podcasts back, yeah. where our guest was Phil Gursky. Yeah. A senior analyst with CSIS, retired senior analyst with CSIS, who I would suggest is probably one of the foremost terrorism experts, certainly in Canada, if not in the Western world. And Phil was very, I, you know, I think you or I may have called him an expert. And he, he, he corrected us. Yes. And, and, and he said, I'm not an expert. And he says, I'm knowledgeable. I spent the last 30 years in this domain, but I'm not an expert. We use that term too loosely. And, you know, when I look at our competitors out there, when I talk with people, when I talk with customers, clients, and they say, well, you guys are experts in such and such. And I say, well, we have expertise in this area of security. We have experience in this area of security. Uh, when you say expert, I think it may be court certified expert. I mean, there's a, a high bar to meet to be court certified. Yeah. And it's not forever. You're court certified for the one issue at hand. The reality is most uh, consultants you see are not experts. They're very skilled practitioners because yeah. uh, an expert typically is a point in time. You know, you could be a medical doctor and you could uh, be the best gynecologist in the world, but that doesn't mean you're an expert in brain surgery. So that's a problem. And that's what I would tell prospective uh, users of, uh, of uh, consulting services is, there's certain things you should be look out for and look out for people that call themselves experts. And that's not to say that they're not, but when you hear that term, you should have some follow-up questions. Why do you consider yourself an expert? What makes you an expert over the other person? Have you been in court and certified by a court as being an expert? Because they may have been. And in that case, they can call themselves an expert, you know, for the thing they have expertise in. But you know what? I would never say I'm an expert. I've got a, I'm a 40 plus year practitioner. I'm a security generalist. My uh, focus has been on emergency management, on program management development, policy development. Okay. I am not an expert. I'm just really, really good, you know, and one of the better guys that you're going to find. So I think people got to be careful of what, what, what they call what the salesman is selling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, um, so, I, I, so obviously, knowledge, expertise is a key component. You want to know that you're you're hiring somebody that that can do the job. And let's move on to a couple of the other items that I want to touch on that I think are important to to uh, consultants uh, selection. Um, and you may disagree, but uh, probably not because I'm usually right. And if you want to add something, yeah, you're welcome yeah. to do that. But yeah, I think hold on. you 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 may be right, but don't forget that I'm an expert. <laughs> I think it's important um, for a consultant to be a good people person. And what I mean by that is they have to be good listeners, not, not necessarily talking more than they do listening, right? Really understand what their clients' needs are. Um, and they have to be relationship builders, right? They can't be just guys who take the order, they disappear, and they show up. These, I mean, as a consultant, you're out there all the time working uh, relationships, leveraging connections to find out information. You need to find out other information as, as you get different types of projects, you might have to talk to the police, you might have to talk to the school board, you might have to talk to the plumber, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And so a capacity to be able to interact with people in a comfortable fashion and listen to what they're saying and understand that, I think is important is an important aspect of the consultancy role. Would you agree? 
Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm starting to feel a bit nauseous because I'm agreeing with you too much. <laughs> but but I couldn't agree with you more because when I, in my last job, when I w- worked for that big real estate company, uh, I didn't have to listen as much. And, and, and let me, before I come across being pompous, I didn't have to listen that much within the organization because I was part of the organization. I understood the culture. I understood the pain points. But, you know, when you hire a consultant, it's like hiring or renting a car. It's for a point in time. And when, when when Hertz gives you that car, they don't know how you're going to drive the car. They don't have that knowledge. They don't know how you're going to drive it when you have it, what your experience has been. Even they don't even know what the car's going to look like when they get it back. Is it dirty, smashed, or whatever? Well, I think consultants have to be good listeners. I think they have to be good. Uh, they have to ask good probative questions so they get a good understanding of the environments they're going into. But then they have to listen. And almost like a good uh, police uh, detective who does interrogations, most of the talking has to come from uh, the interviewer. And it's the consultant's job to put something out there and extrapolate the information from the client. And often you'll see that consultants don't do that or are incapable of doing that. And and that leads me to my next piece of that same equation, because you have to listen, absolutely understand what, what their needs are. But I think even more importantly is to have the rapport or a good enough relationship uh, connection with the client to be able to um, report it back to them in a truthful and honest and open manner, which I think a lot of times this is where, you know, you see a lot of consultants get into arguments while you give them what they want. I don't believe that. I think our role as consultants is to tell them what they should have. And if they can't afford it, that's a different discussion. Or if they don't want yeah. to do it, it's a different discussion. But I think as experts, you know, go back to that whole thing. If, if I'm the expert and I'm telling you you need A, uh, even though you might not like to hear it, it's my responsibility to say it is A that you need to solve your problem. Now, we can work on a solution B, but that is my role is to tell you how to best meet your needs. A, a great point, Luke. Uh, you know, I think the old adage, the customer is always right. Well, certainly not in consulting. And I would say that if the customer knew what they needed, they wouldn't need to retain the customer. And I think it really comes down to uh, sophistication, like business sophistication, business majority. Uh, you've got to be able to look a client in the eye and tell them, with respect, you're wrong. And essentially what you have to say without being rude is you don't know yeah. what you're talking about. And this is why it's wrong. And these are the consequences because... If you're just a yes man, and too many are, too many of us are, because, you know, you don't want to bite off the head of the person that's paying you. You don't want to annoy them because you want to get invited back on another mandate. But then you're not really bringing the value. You know, our job, and you alluded to it, is to tell the client what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And if the client decides not to listen and proceed contrary to your guidance anyways, as long as it's not illegal or immoral, I'm going to try and make it happen for the client. But I'm going to manage the expectation to say, listen, I wouldn't go this way. And these are my concerns. We understand that you do want to go this way. And as long as you understand the risks inherent with your decision, we're good to you go. Did. But you not know? to say that we're going to sink you if this is wrong. I would never do that. There's a confidentiality agreement with clients and everything like that. I'm not going to say, point at them and say, I told you so. I would never do that. But the real value is getting the right uh, consultant that has the knowledge base and the experience that can give you that information you need so you can make an informed decision. And, you know, there are times where the decision 
is informed, but it's not what the consultant says because there's other factors of play and that's fair. That's the way the world works also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Going on to my next point, and I think this one is might catch you a little off guard, but I think it's important because I think you've done a lot of work in this area or you've tried to, to create a brand that really reflects what your service uh, levels or what you expect them to be, right? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, you, they, you have to portray a certain image. Um, and as a client, you want a consultant that portrays a certain image, whatever that is. You know, you may be an Apple with a more loosey-goosey type of a work environment versus a bank, which wants you more, you know, shirt and tie, uh, suit type of an environment. And you have to make sure that your consultant matches what your expectation, what your brand is going to be so that they can project that out there as well. Because they're going to be your conduit to stakeholders that are involved with that process. And if you're not jiving with what the client is trying to, to achieve, then it sends mixed signals. And in a, in a really bad case, it could work against you, right? Like if you're a really, a really professional outfit, like a law firm, and you show up dressed in uh, you know khakis and a t-shirt, it's probably not gonna be the image that they want projected and they're not gonna be happy with your service. So you really gotta work on a brand, developing your image, and making sure that when, you know, the clients that you're approaching match the, 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 the brand that you want to put out there. Yeah, I think brand is uh, important. It's a differentiator. It's also your business card, if you will. And what yeah. we try and do in our business is the name of the firm, which happens to be my name, I have to pick a name, is the brand. And everyone that's part of the firm delivers services at a certain level consistent with the brand. And over time, the hope is the people say, oh, when I hear Brian Clean Associates, they are experts in this area or they're specialists in this area, and this is the quality of work they do. I also hope they'll say, hey, they're not the guys I'm going to call if I need some pen uh, cyber penetration testing, or they're not the guys I'm going to call if I uh, am doing some uh, surveillance and undercover work, okay, because that's not what a brand is. So I think brand sort of defines you. A problem with this industry, a problem with the industry as a whole and some consultants is that it's a cutthroat business and people yeah. uh, want to walk away from a job. And you and I just before we went on camera talked about a situation you've just experienced in which, you, you know, we we don't want to manage expectations because that's going to annoy the client. So we basically tell them anything they want to yeah. hear and try and figure out afterwards. And part of your due diligence is really to ask your consultant that you're considering, you know, what projects have you done? Where have you disagreed with the client? How have you handled that? What are your success stories? What are your failures? And again, it goes back to, uh, honestly, I would say probably 80% of the time that I've been doing this for the la last three years, uh, I get hired without any interview. There right. is no due diligence process. Again, I'm not complaining because I feed my family, but it just sort of surprises me. Yeah. I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes without trying it on. Yet someone will engage a consultant on a twenty thousand or hundred thousand dollar mandate. They haven't really tried on the shoes. Yeah, you'd think they'd want to spend that kind of money too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the the last point that I have um, in terms of what I think is important because we've talked about the. I mean, you need the expertise. You want them to be good listeners. You want them to be good in relationships. But I think the other piece of it is having good business etiquette, uh, diplomatic skills, tact. I think of uh, the current project that we're both working on with uh, with with one of the banks. We don't need to offer say who it is, but we're working with a consultant on that who's managing all the stakeholders. And I gotta say, you know, when you look at that person, 
that is exactly what I'm what yeah. I'm referring to when I talk about etiquette. You know, the, there could be a firestorm of angry eagles and and finger pointing going on around him in the in the room, but he's always got calm, uh, control. You know, very uh, positive vibes. Um, keeps people informed. Like he does all the little things that make it everything seem to move more, much more smoother, efficiently, and keeps everybody happy, right? Like you don't need unnecessary stress when you're when you're dealing with a, ma a major project like that one is. Yeah, no, I agree. Our uh, project manager, the lead in that particular project, is a really skilled uh, people person, uh, very even keel. I mean. You know, with COVID, and we're not seeing clients face to face, at least not the way we used to. So we all tend to be a little bit sloppy. I noticed uh, wearing the t shirt there, Mr. Sim. <laughs> I know. As, as, uh, as I have. You know, but he's always dressed the part. He's always yes. calm. I'm sort of an emotional guy and I get excited and I need no. you and others to walk me off the ledge sometimes. <laughs> but 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 he's always even kill and I need that. And, and that's what your consultant needs to be, you know, and realize that when you're engaging a consultant, often you're engaging a team. And that comes to the brand, you know, and the culture of the organization. And, and that was a great example, actually, that you just yeah. gave. I almost wish we can give kudos to uh, the person, but we yeah. can't. Well, maybe one day we will, we'll let them hear the episode and uh, yeah. tell them we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so that, you know, I think that's, uh, for me, that's a pretty good sort of picture of what I would expect a consultant to do for me and what I would hope they would do for me, that uh, they'd guide me in the right direction with, with uh, you know, based on their experience, their knowledge, their expertise. Um, and then tell me when I'm wrong. I mean, I need to be told when I'm wrong. That's what I've hired you for, to tell me what I need to know. And so when you just tell me what I want to hear, you're not doing yourself any services because at some point something's going to go off the rails and you're going to say, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't, uh, you know, you didn't ask or I didn't think you'd like it. That's not an argument and that's not our role. We, we need to help our clients succeed. And so honest, open communication is part of that equation. Um, is there anything else you think that we've, we haven't touched on that should, uh, should be discussed? Yeah, I'd like to just talk about pricing a little bit. Okay? Oh, yeah, pricing. And, yeah. And, and it's important because when there's multiple proposals and you're looking at the price, just understand what goes into the price, okay? Less is not always better. And years ago, when I was new in my career, I was working uh, with Pure Data Courier. I was in charge of security and cargo loss for Eastern Canada back in our time. And one of my roles was litigation support. And when there'd be a cargo claim for a loss of a career package would come into my group. We would work with, uh, we try and uh, settle the claim. If the person wasn't happy and ended up suing us, then I would liaise with the uh, legal folks that were going to handle litigation. And we were using outside counsel. And what amazed me was that I noticed in short order, every the defense for every uh, uh, claim that we got, litigation claim we got, was almost the same. They just changed the date and the location and the value. But the defense, the pleading, the 10 pages that was filed with the court was the same. And I, back in the day, I was getting these bills for each one of like $3,500, which might be ten dollars or $15,000 today. And literally, the lawyer became my friend, and I'd be in his office, and it was Corel Word Perfect, word processors oh my God. before computers. <laughs> and he would press a button, and he'd spit it out. And he'd say, here's your defense, $3,500, please, or $10,000 today or fifteen. And I said, Marty, this is crazy. I said, you're charging me this, and it just took you literally 30 seconds. And he says, 
no, Brian, it took me a lot longer. It yeah. took me 20 years. I yeah. said, well, what do you mean? He says, you're getting the benefit of 20 years of experience, okay? Yeah. If you want a lawyer that's going to charge you a lot less, go to Peter. He graduated six months ago, and that's what you're going to pay for. So it's the same thing with a consultant. You know, yeah. I try to explain to customers when they say, how come this is so expensive? And I don't want to scare away future business. I mean, we do engagements that are $2,000 or $3,000. But people have to understand that if you're getting someone that's been in the business for 30, 40 years, and our organization has combined experience of, you know, 100 and some odd years, almost 200 years, when you look at all the associates and the expertise, mm -hmm. that's what you're paying for. And the fact that I can do it in uh, a half an hour when another guy may have to do it in two hours doesn't mean that I'm gouging you and it doesn't mean should I be penalized. I mean, there's a lot that went into it. So there's a lot to go into pricing. And I think if you trust and are comfortable with the consultant you engage, okay, a good consultant is not going to gouge you. It's not in his or her interest. They're, you know, they're going to find where uh, economies of scale are possible and they're going to uh, propose a price. Work with you, and they're going to propose a price which is reflective of what they believe they're bringing to you. Listen, if I'm charging a lot of money, and you start seeing the deliverables are substandard, you're going to know soon enough that you made a mistake, and you're going to terminate the relationship. Conversely, if someone's charging you fifty dollars an hour, and they put in three hours, okay, what are you getting for that three hours of work? Yeah. So I think it, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, no, it's a good point, and and yeah, pricing. Uh, something that's obviously very important at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think it's a factor of all the things we talked about. When you're a professional, when you've got the credentials, when you've got the, the skills that uh, that we talked about, the confidence to speak openly and and uh, and and with trust with your with your with your uh, client, that all comes with time. And so when you get a kid, you know, and there's a lot of them in our industry that posted on LinkedIn or whatever, I'm an expert. Uh, you know, I'm, everybody opens up a consultancy. I opened up one too, but after how many years of experience, um, and even then I was still like, am I doing the right thing? Do I have the credentials? Do I have, do I have the expertise? But when you look around, I'm like, holy crap, that guy, you know, that guy just did, uh, he was a supervisor for, for four or five years at company yeah. A. The other guy, he's a, a manager in a completely different business for, for company B. And now they're all, they're both doing security consultancy. You just shake your head and, and you start to realize that to your point, yeah, I put in my time. I consider myself, I don't consider myself an expert, but I damn know what I'm talking about. And that's come with time. So that's not going to be free to anybody who wants our business. No. You got to pay for that. Otherwise, go get the kid who's uh, who's been a supervisor all his life. And by the way, that's not to say that the younger consultant isn't going to bring value, but it, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, you've got to look at the job that you're offering. There's certain things where you need a lot of uh, experience and there's other things that you may not, you know, um, uh, but it, it really is a buyer beware. It's an unregulated space. And really, I think a good consultant is going to give the client things that they need to consider. And that's the way we're going to end it. I think you summed it up perfectly. Be aware, be careful, do your homework and yeah. find out who you, who it is that you're hiring. Make sure that they, that they're going to be able to meet your needs. Um, so that was good. Short and sweet to the point. I think uh, we covered off uh, the elements that I think are important to mm -hmm. a consultant. Um, any closing comments? Yeah, just one, uh, a listener and a longtime friend, a big thank you to Javier for your critical comments that were constructive. <laughs> 
on the production, post-production quality <laughs> and the light show that we used to give. So thanks, Hav. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he said some other things, but I can't repeat them on the air because they're very personal. <laughs> you probably get upset. <laughs> oh, wow. He didn't tell me that part. Hey, Hav, never mind. No thanks. <laughs> All right. So that, uh, that ends episode 31. We'll be on to episode 32 in a couple of weeks. And until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, and take care. Be well, everyone. Take care. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, briancleman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets.